Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. God is good, and all the time. Thank you so much for that song. Aren't you glad that love did lift you? Let me try that again. Aren't you glad that love lifted you? That's better. That's better. Sometimes we get a little uh, lax in our praising, and that's why I have you say it again, because... Somebody's back there. Oh, okay. She's, she's actually waving her hands. Amen? Do, can we do that here? Amen. Everybody. Amen. <laughs> I know that you guys can clap to music now. I know that you can really enjoy yourselves during music. Uh Friday night out to my house, I was surprised you all were going. <laughs> I'd never heard you do that before after a year. <laughs> uh, again, I want to thank everyone for coming out Friday night, making everything a, a huge success. And, and uh, uh, everybody thought, well, it's going to rain, but eh, a little rain won't hurt anybody, right? I want to kind of continue on from <clears throat> what I was preaching on last week. Does anybody remember the name of the sermon last week? All right, all right, and we still don't have Lynn Anderson to sing it, but uh, I want to talk about a few more promises. Matter of fact, I've got five promises that I want to talk about this morning (coughs) that God did. He didn't promise us a rose garden, but he did promise us a lot of things, and uh, I can't hardly wait to get to the last one because uh, this one that uh, probably no one talks about very much, but one of the things that he promised us was we would have power. We all like power, don't we? Amen. We all, like to, we all like to feel power. Of course, you all know that I'm a car guy, and I like to feel power. Whenever I stomp my, uh, this foot, what's your, my right foot down, I like to feel power. And uh, uh, I, I enjoy that, and it gives me kind of a rush whenever I feel the power of a good V8 engine. Any of you, any of you that way? All right. All right, Rick, you didn't have your hand up, and I know better. That's, that's better. <laughs> I've rode with you before. <laughs> but we all want a certain amount of power. Now, that can be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing. In Washington, D.C. right now, everybody is struggling for power. And some of it's good, and some of it's bad. But the power that I want to talk to you about this morning is the power that Jesus gave us. He gave us power, and we don't use it. We don't use the power that God gave us. And before I go too much farther, I want you to stop and think about the greatest thing that Jesus done in the Bible. What do you think it was? The resurrection, the death, and the resurrection? 
What about when he was physically here and walking around before his death and resurrection? What do you think the greatest thing that he done? He brought Lazarus back from the dead, turned water into wine. That's, uh, we are in church. <laughs> what else? He walked on the water, spent time with the Father. He what? He healed people, made the lame to walk. He what? Got in Satan's face, yep. Made the blind see. And the dumb talk, I'm a perfect example of that. <laughs> but all of these things that you have mentioned, other than the, the, the death and resurrections, is not the greatest thing that he done. The greatest thing that he done is when he would heal somebody, what would he, what would he tell them to do? What, what would he tell them to do? What did he tell them about their sins? Their sins have been forgiven and washed away. The greatest thing that he done on this earth was led people to Christ, led people to him, led people to God. Amen? Amen. You know, the healing, uh, uh, the healing of, of the hands and the legs and the ears and the eyes and, and the mind and all that were temporary. Even when he brought Lazarus back from the dead, that was temporary. Because Lazarus died again. And, and the things that we think are so great, the miracles that we see, are, that we talk about, are so great. And, and we say how great they are. But there's a greater thing yet, and that is to lead someone to Christ. The very best thing you can do to, for anyone is to tell them about Jesus and tell them that Jesus died on the cross and that he was buried and he rose again on that third day and he can do the same thing for you because it's eternal. Now, if you have your Bibles, how many of you brought your Bibles? Okay, okay. A lot of times when we have, uh, and that's one of the reasons I don't put the words up on the screen because you all have to get your Bible out and look at it. In John chapter 14, verses 12 and 13, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And this one here, this statement here really threw me for a loop for a long time. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my father and, <coughs> excuse me, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When we ask God to do something, it is for God's glory. Or it doesn't get answered. Amen. A lot of times whenever we pray and, and we ask for God to do things and, and it kind of, it's for us and it gets a little bit personal. If God is not glorified, he's going to tell you no. Amen. Because the things that we do should glorify God and should lift up God. And th this statement in here says, greater things you're going to do. How can we do greater things in Jesus? By leading others to Christ. Now, he led all the people, all, a lot of people to him. But stop and think about if we're going to do something greater than what Jesus done, stop and remember, Jesus was confined to this little area around Jordan, 
around Nazareth, around Jerusalem, around Bethlehem. And he was kind of confined because he couldn't jump in his car or jump in a plane and go halfway across the world. And if we're going to do greater things than him, what we have to do is do the Great Commission where Jesus said, go into the far reaches of the world and tell others and and make disciples. Amen? And what we need to be doing is telling others about Jesus. If we're going to do something much greater than him, it's going to take all of us together. If each one of you led one person to Christ, one, in your lifetime, one, and I hope that you've led more than that, but I know probably statistically, because there's so many that haven't led anyone to Christ, it's going to come down to about one or two maybe. If we, each one of us leads someone to Christ, if there's probably close to 60 people in here, that would be 60 new converts just from Temple. And what about if Zion Hill led that many to Christ? Eternity led that many to Christ. Bethel led that many to Christ. Patoka led that many to Christ. All this, all the, uh, almost 30 churches in our association, if we all done that, we would probably have led more people to Christ than what Jesus did when he walked on the earth. Amen? Because Jesus was limited in his, in his travel ability. And we can do this if we do it collectively. And if we all reach at least one person for Christ, then if every church member and everyone who attends church regularly, and by the way, the last survey I read, they consider, they consider a regular church attender in the Illinois Baptist Association of attending two services per month. Shame on us. Shame on us. If you're going to be a regular attender, when the doors are unlocked, we need to be here. Amen? That's what I consider a regular attender. But anyway, if we all do, the, if we all lead someone to Christ, then we're going to do a greater work than what Jesus done in his, in his physical walk because we're going to be leading more people to an, an eternal home. Amen? That's the power that God gave us. That's the power that Jesus gave us. And you have the power, and believe it or not, you have the ability, amen, to tell others about Jesus. The problem is we don't have the backbone to tell people about Jesus. Amen or only. Now, if we all have this power, there's another thing that we all really enjoy. And uh, I'm going to tell you all, after Friday night, I got up Saturday morning about 8 o'clock and started putting things back together. And about 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, I had about everything back together from where you all come out and visited me. And what did I want? <laughs> yeah, buddy. I like rest. I retired so I didn't have to get up early in the morning. We all like rest. And we all need rest. If God needed rest, don't you think we do? Everybody go like this. <laughs> are you all awake or are you all resting this morning? <laughs> uh, he has promised us rest. Sometimes we need emotional rest. We need spiritual rest. We need physical rest. But in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it says, Come unto me, all you who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, there's a kind of a catch in there. If you want rest from God, you have to labor. You have to be doing something. Because he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So if you're one of those church members that just comes in and warms the pew, has he promised you rest? You're getting it already. <laughs> but he said, come unto me, all you who labor. And if we've got the power to introduce people to Jesus and introduce people to salvation, we're going to get tired, believe it or not, and we need this rest. And he said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And there's another thing, another requirement in there is to learn. Amen? <laughs> my, my dad used to tell me, he said, you know, you can learn something from everyone. No matter who it is. And he said, sometimes it's just how dumb they are. But you learn something from everyone. But we need to learn from God. We need to be into the word. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I like a light burden. And he makes it light. Of all the things that we can do in this old world that make us tired, actually, believe it or not, serving God is one of them. But he will give us rest. He said, my... Burden is light, and my yoke is easy. And my, your yoke is easy if you have someone pulling with you. That's what makes your yoke easy. Now, I'm going to be moving along a little bit because I've got, I've got uh, three more to do and a lot more scripture on those. And now, <laughs> one, that, one that he does is he cares for you and he calms our storms. Believe it or not, God is interested in every aspect of your life. Everyone. Years and years and years ago, I went to a church and, and, uh, with, it, with a very good friend of mine, and he uh, taught me a lot. He said, I even pray whenever I go buy a new pair of shoes that God would give me the right ones. And I kind of I, I thought when he told me that, I, I thought, yeah, come on, Ernie. <laughs> you, you, are, do you think God is that interested one thing I have found through my years is that God doesn't care who wins the World Series. <laughs> or the Cubs would have been back in there this year. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I knew that would bring some remarks. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but he prayed for a new pair of shoes, and I thought, I'm going to do that one of these days. And about eight years ago, I prayed for a new pair of boots, and guess what? I still got them on. They've been resold once, but I've still got them on. I had to save my soul, didn't I? <laughs> uh, and, but God does care about every aspect of your life. And if we're not careful, we just go to God and ask him about the real serious things because we think we can handle these little things like which boots to buy. Or which color car to drive? Or which suit to wear today? But God cares. 
And he wants you to talk to him about your problems. Now, in Matthew, or in Mark, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 4, verses 38 to 41, it says, and I, I really like this scripture, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a pillow. See, Jesus needed rest too. We think of, once in a while, we, we think of Jesus being the Son of God and everything's perfect, but we forget that he is also the Son of Man. And every feeling that you have ever felt in your life, Jesus felt it too. He felt alone. He felt overwhelmed once in a while. His heart was broken. He had his highs and lows as he walked on this earth too because he had to feel those so he would know how to take care of you when you experienced them. Says he was and he was in the stern of the, asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're in this boat. And this wind, this storm is coming up across, across the lake. And, and, and the, the boat's beginning to rock. And, and all of his disciples begin to get scared. And, and they still had Jesus in the boat with them. But they didn't want to drown. And these were all fishermen. Most, or a lot of them were. Then, verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And I think as soon as he had done that, he went back to laying down on his pillow. And said, okay, it's okay now. I've, I've stopped the sea. I've stopped the wind from blowing. And I'm going to go back to my nap. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus was there with them, and they were still afraid. Where they could see him. <laughs> and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I don't know about the rest of you, but there was a calm after that storm. Amen. Because Jesus said, oh, that's enough wind. You got my disciples scared. You got all these people afraid that they're going to drown. See, be still. Wind, be still. And it got so calm. I'm not a water person, <laughs> but I've seen the, the, the lakes and stuff when it gets so calm. You throw a rock out in there and the ripples start coming out. Just so calm and relaxing. And I think that's the way the sea was when Jesus spoke to it. And he said, now, I know you don't have any faith, but I want to go back and take my nap again. And he will calm the storm in your life no matter what it is. Whether you're having issues with health or finances or marital problems or emotional problems or whatever it is, if you turn them over to God... If you will find an altar somewhere and kneel down and pray and say, God, take this from me, and then leave it there, he will calm your storm. The problem is we say, Lord, I'm really having this problem, and I want you to take care of it. And then we get up from, from our altar somewhere, and we pick that problem up, and we stick it back in our pocket. 
<laughs> and say, I'll still deal with this. Turn it over to God. He can calm your storm. And we all go through storms. If you're not in one right now, <laughs> get ready. Ones are coming. Now, I want to move over to the good part. One of the things that he has promised me is an eternal crown and a new heaven. He's promised me that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, uh, Paul is saying, said, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And verse 8 says, and finally, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord and the righteous judge will give to me on that day. Pay attention to this part. And not to, be on, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest writers in the Bible. We like to read his, his, all of his epistles and what he wrote to Timothy and what he wrote to the Ephesians and, and pretty much most of the, the New Testament. And we would think that he would be way above the rest of us. But he's not. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Amen? And then Apostle Paul says that, that, that uh, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not to me only, but all, all, that's everyone, everyone who... <laughs> who is, uh, has loved his appearing. If you're looking for Jesus to come back and you have asked him to come into your heart, there's a crown of righteousness for you. It's waiting for you. It's already prepared. Now, whenever I get to heaven, and there's a lot of speculation about this, but my crown is going at Jesus' feet because he's the one who got me there. I'm not going to walk around heaven with this big crown and saying, huh, look at me. I was, I've been pastor of four churches, and I'm the associate pastor at Temple Baptist Church. That just doesn't work. That doesn't get it. What got me, what's going to get me into heaven, is what Jesus done on the cross. Am I accepting that and believing that? Do you believe? In Revelations, it talks about, it talks about the, the new heaven. And I'm just going to read through this a little bit. It says, now I saw, John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. As we walk around this old earth, we have a lot of problems. Amen. Then I, John, saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I have had the privilege of doing a lot of weddings down through my years in the ministry. Some lasted, some didn't. <laughs> some were funny. Some caught my off guard. I'd done a wedding one time, and uh, I love telling this story. I always have the best man have the, the bride's ring. And I said... During rehearsal, I said, now you hand me the ring, and I will give it to the groom. And he puts it on her finger and holds that till he says this little vow thing. 
And I said, y'all, that's the way I want it done. And the same thing with the, the uh, maiden of honor, give it to me, give it to the bride to put on the, the, wing, the, the hand of the groom. And it was kind of a small wedding, and, and <laughs> we had went through rehearsal, and, and uh, we were all up there in the front. There was about, uh, there was a couple of, of on each side, and, and I said, uh, what, what token do you give as, as a promise for your undying love, and whatever the statement was, and uh, he, the groom said a ring. So I reach over to the best man. He pulls out his coat, pulls out a Cracker Jack box, and dumps a ring in my hand. And I'm supposed to be serious during all this. <laughs> Weddings are always very unique. But there is one thing that I have seen in every wedding that I have ever done. When the, when the wedding march starts and the doors open at the back of the church and the groom turns around to look and the bride steps in with her daddy there has never been a more beautiful person in that man's life and Jesus or John said that this new heaven is going to be just like that bride adorned for her husband when our, we get our first glimpse of the new heaven it's going to bring tears to our eyes at the beauty of what God has prepared for us. And he's promised it's going to be brand new. There's not going to be anything of this old earth left over. There's not going to be pain. <laughs> There's not going to be disease. There's not going to be heartaches. Doesn't care how old your boots are. It's going to be perfect. Far more beautiful than anything that we have ever seen. We cannot fathom or imagine the beauty of what this new creation, this new heaven and new earth is going to be. But I want to tell you something. <laughs> I've always said, you know... God took a week to create this world that we live in and how beautiful it is. And he's been working on this for thousands of years. So it's got to be good. Amen? And I don't want to miss it. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. No longer do we have to imagine and use our imagination of what God looks like because we can face, we can uh, 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 plant our eyes on Him and just look at Him and see just how beautiful and how glorious that God is. Amen? And we can look in the face of Jesus, the one who loved you so much that He died for you. <laughs> I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I don't really know about that because there's going to be some tears of joys in this old brown eyes that this old boy carries. But every tear from their eyes, there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Every time I read that, I think of the movie 
There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> there should be no more pain, for former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words. Write, for these words are true and faithful. There's your promise that you can take to the bank. Now, there's one more promise that we don't like to talk about. How many of you have ever heard the, the, the phrase, this is not a threat, it's a promise? <laughs> you see, God made the same one. We like to talk about the beauties of God and how great he is, how much he loves us. And his love is as far to the right as his hatred can be to the left. You see, he has promised all these things that I've talked about if we believe in him. But he has also made a promise to the lost. And just as much as God will keep his promises to us, he's going to keep it to the lost. The ones who have refused to believe. The ones who have refused to accept. The ones who say there is no such thing as a Holy Ghost. There is no such thing as, as a God who created all of this. That Bible that you carry is just a, a book written by man. And it contradicts itself over and over and over. And it's antiquated. It may have been good for your grandparents, but it's not good for us. Because we live in a modern society. Some people say, I have become my own God. I don't get it. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50 says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just. And cast them, the wicked, into a furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, I just painted you a picture, a word picture of what heaven might be like. So I want to paint you a word picture of what you, you can expect if you don't believe in Jesus. And by the way, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, I don't care how good you are, how mean you are, or if you're ugly like me, or you're pretty like your wife, if you're short, if you're tall, if you're skinny, if you're fat, if you're black, if you're white, if you're red, if you're yellow, or anything in between. If you want to get to 
heaven, you have to come through Jesus. There's no other way. I have talked to people, and they said, surely a God that loves as much as you talk about would not send someone to a devil's hell. You're quite correct. He doesn't send you. You choose to go there. You have, cho- you have chosen not to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but fire is one of the greatest pains getting burnt that you will ever feel. I have a cousin who, back whenever he was just a young kid, and they used to burn fire or burn your trash in a barrel. Some people still do, but his pant leg caught on fire and burned his leg all the way up to his hip. I have seen people in the burn unit in Springfield Hospital bandaged, and all you could see was their eyes in so much pain that they couldn't speak. One of the first things we teach our children, if you're around a stove, don't touch it because it will burn you. If we're out in the sun too long, without our shirt, out on the lake, probably on a Sunday morning, when you should have been in church, you'll get the reflection off of the water as well as the reflection off of the sun and turn red as a beet and blister and run for the solar cane and spray it on and try to get some relief. Why? Because burns hurt. And can you imagine? I want, to, I want you to use your imagination just a little bit. A very hot rod, not a hot rod, <laughs> but a rod that has been heated and just getting a hold of it and hanging on to it. Can you imagine the pain that would come? Can you imagine if your clothes were on fire? Yeah, you would drop and roll. Can you imagine that pain throughout all eternity? Friday night, I had a fire in my fire pit. And as I was lighting it and watching it burn and... and, uh, Throwing more wood on it so it would be nice for y'all when you got there. It wasn't raining too hard. I was sitting there thinking about this message, and I thought, I would hate to stand right in the middle of that. There's not enough mean people in the world to get me in there without a fight. And we are so laxed they telling the world that God has promised them a home in hell if they do not accept what Jesus done. There's no other place for him to send this. There's no other place where he can send people. It's either going to be absolutely beautiful. Where Brother Lee, 82 or 83 years old, It's just a heartbeat in eternity. But also, over here, 
is this lake of fire that God is going to cast people into forever and ever and ever. And I believe over there, Brother Lee, a heartbeat will be 80-some years because they will be in total torment. And they have all eternity. There are no exit signs in hell. You're there. So the decision that has to be made is do I accept Jesus as my Savior and go over here where everything's great? Or do I not believe in all this stuff that all these Christians have been talking about all these years? I'm not going to accept that. And I'm going to spend eternity in hell. I've had people tell me, well, all my friends are going to be there, so I might as well go down there with You do not have friends in hell. Everyone will be your enemy. Over here, everyone's your friend. Everyone's your brother. Everyone's your sister. Over here is the big banquet. Over here, you get burnt hot dogs. To crisp. And there's nothing worse than the smell of burnt flesh. Where do you want to go? Where do you want your friends to go? Where do you want your family to go? You see, this promise that God made the lost is just because he has made every provision possible for them not to go there. He sent something very valuable. The most valuable thing that he had was his only son. And he sent him because God so loved. Remember last week? God so loved the world. And he done it for you. Now, what do you tell your friends? I'm hoping and praying that most of us in this congregation are born-again believers. I'm not naive enough to know, to, to believe that maybe there's someone not. But if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, here's your options. Believe, rejoice, don't believe, burn in a lake of fire. Would you stand with me, please? Jermaine, would you come? God expects us, if we're going to be doing greater things than him, he expects us to lead others to Christ. That's the greatest thing we can do for anyone because it has eternal consequences. This altar is open if you'd like to come to pray. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.